This episode is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Become a patron today at patreon.com forward slash into the portal. CE, somewhere in Britain. The church bells rung out as the congregation was exiting their house of worship, wandering out into the sun, but only to witness one of the most peculiar spectacles any of the parishioners had ever seen before. A strange anchor and a line leading up into the sky beyond the clouds. They looked up in bewilderment as to its origins. It was as if the heavens themselves had opened up and dropped some kind of tether to the world of man. Strange voices could be heard coming from the sky. A body was discovered and high strangeness would ensue. Just one of hundreds of old world counts of what just might be a connection to another world. Or at the very least, a connection to strange beings who visit, who watch, and sometimes change the happenings of Earth and mankind. How long they have been visiting is unclear, and the realms and distant lands in which they originate remains an elusive quest. Which brings us to today's episode. Welcome back into the portal, everyone. As we continue our expedition through history, to find connections between unexplainable events at disparate locations and bizarre encounters with extraterrestrial craft and creatures throughout the ancient world. From interdimensional cloud realms to possible stargates and much, much more. Join us as we search for evidence of alien airships of antiquity. Part 2. Hello, 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 and welcome back into the portal. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And welcome, you all. I know it's uh, been a little bit of a wait for this part two, but hey, we're back. We're back. We're here. We're talking UFOs. Thank you for your patience, everyone. (laughs) We left off... Excuse me. Sorry. Oh, my gosh. We left off last week... Last week? Weeks ago. (laughs) Talking about a couple of different things. We're not really going to do too much of a recap, just because... You guys have listened to the part one, I think. If you haven't, go listen to part one where we talked about a bunch of different things. One of the main ones being the Tuli or the Tuli papyrus, Mm -hmm. which was was a fascinating case, likely probably leaning to the more misinterpreted, fabricated, possibly side. But there were some interesting characters there, Durachowitz multiple interpretations and translations of something. And the one thing I did want to just follow up on quickly with that was the reference to 22 years within the past, the Tully Papyrus, the alleged Tully Papyrus. And in later research, I realized that 22 years matched up with the rough age when Thutmose became ruler, became pharaoh. 
So I wondered if that was maybe a reference to that, like it was almost maybe like a coming of age, kind of like a fable, so to speak, because that was just interesting. It was like in the year 22, and then Mm. he was 22 years old when he became, he was under the control of a regent, his stepmother, for years and years uh, leading up to him becoming Pharaoh. Right. So I just thought that was an interesting number, numerical kind of, uh, not a corroboration, but just sort of just, I just found that to be interesting and thought maybe there's something more there um, to make it seem like, yeah, like maybe this was actually a, a real document of some kind about him becoming Pharaoh. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it was because a freaking legion of UFOs, a, an army of UFOs showed up and started hovering over uh, his mm-hmm. palaces. Uh, well, that would be pretty telling if that's your first uh, year of rulership. Right. And, uh, or like the day one. It's like you become ruler that day or he became ruler because of that or something like that. That's interesting. So what you're saying here is essentially like they, you're saying year 22 is in this would have been the 22, 22nd year of his ruling. Of or his life. Of his life. Okay. Because the calendar would have been dictated for that? I actually am not familiar I, I, I don't know. That. Yeah, okay. I don't know. But I just, it was just a, I just found that after the fact, so I wanted to mention that there. But yeah, no, we talked about a lot, a lot of different things. Ancient UFO, ancient visitation-wise mm-hmm. in part one. That incredible encounter from Kentucky, which I really appreciate. So I just, much fun. I just love that. It's, it's very fantastical, obviously. But it's, well, all of this is pretty fantastical. <laughs> well, I mean, really. I mean, I, just wait till we get to uh, your favorite guy, Mr. Craft. 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 Oh, my God. Not craftsman. I'm going to call him craftsman this whole time. No, you're not. Anyway. Okay. Craftsman. Craftsman. It's not that hard. <laughs> it's hard for me. All right. Let's get into things, though, by talking about something that we teased in part one. The legendary, the infamous Alexander the Great. Hmm. So I'm sure a lot of you out there who are interested in UFOs, UFOlogy, have come across this before because it is one of those classic, uh, I mean, I guess sort of like, for for non-believers, the classic debunked document. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it is absolutely fascinating. So let's get into this because there's stories about Alexander the Great encountering extraterrestrials. There is, and like we kind of teased in part one, there was an infamous letter that was allegedly written by Alexander the Great, and this was addressed to his mentor, Aristotle. None other than. I know, and in it, the young conqueror allegedly describes the splendors of his campaigning in India, but also an inexplicable event which may be interpreted as, or has been, I should say, has been interpreted as a UFO slash alien encounter. Mm -hmm. And so this letter is actually coming from, it's titled uh, The Letter of Alexander to Aristotle, or Epistola Alexandri ad Aristotle (laughs) Elam. want to go the whole (laughs) ancient sort of route. (laughs) But in this letter, uh, Alexander allegedly describes the following, and I'm just going to quote a brief quote from it. Sure. He says here, quote, immediately after the sky grew very dark and black, and from the dark sky there came a burning fire. The fire fell to the earth like a burning torch, and the whole plain was burning from the fire's flame. Then men said that they had thought it was the anger of the gods which had fallen upon us. Then I ordered old clothing to be torn up and used as a protection against the fire. After we had, after that, we had a quiet and peaceful night once our difficulties assaged. End quote. So, okay, so that's a very brief snippet. I actually did pull that from a, it was actually a peer-reviewed article. It was a brief article 
written in, oh, what was the name of the, it was called Chronicon Mirabellium mm-hmm. from November 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that really is pretty vague, hey? Uh, So it's kind of funny that we get these interesting modern interpretations from uh, characters that we are actually familiar with here. We're going to bring up someone that you guys are probably familiar with if you've been listening to the show for a while. One Frank Edwards. And this individual is mostly credited with popularizing the account. And this, it was in his book, Stranger Than Science, which we have actually referenced in past episodes. Yes. Namely the Anjikuni Lake episode in which he had similarly popularized a very obscure account from a newspaper from decades earlier talking about this abandoned village. From and the Associated Press. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So in his account, in the book, Stranger Than Science, getting back to the whole Aristotle and um, Alexander story... He inaccurately quoted this fake, quote-unquote, letter, if you want to refer to that, because a lot of people do think that this is a hoax letter. They right. don't believe that it's actually been written by Aristotle. And we'll it's tough to say, more. like, just to be clear, though, there is no physical letter. Like, it's like, mm. it's not as if you're, like, hold, well, they're, been, like, holding on to it and being like, this can't be real. Well, no, exactly, because it's just being passed down through centuries yeah. and centuries, yeah. right, of... of like literally like there is people that were in the medieval era that were doing the same things that Frank Edwards is doing in the 20th century back then. So hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So this is just kind of like echoed through time. And so there is no like real letter, but there's lots of different translations, interpretations and other sort of snippets that have kind of persisted throughout the It's like a verbal associated press. I guess. Sure. If you, yeah, if you want to, yeah, exactly. So in his account, Frank Edwards inaccurately kind of quotes this letter of Alexander and adds a lot more details. (laughs) I will say this. So he kind of states that UFOs were seen to dive and swoop repeatedly at Alexander's army. And I'll just quote this really quick here. Mm -hmm. This is from Edwards. He says, quote, Alexander the Great was not the first to see them. He's talking about UFOs nor was he the first to find them troublesome. He tells of two strange craft that repeatedly dived at his army until the war elephants, the men, and the horses all panicked and refused to cross the river where the incident occurred, end quote. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so that was definitely adding a little bit more detail. I Swooping and diving, two craft, like these are all added details. In a similar vein, too, we have actually another, I don't want to call him a co-conspirator, he's definitely, he was doing his own thing, I think, but there was another author slash uh, ufologist, if you want to call him that, named Alberto Fagnolio, and he actually included his own version of events in a periodical called Clypeus? Or no, yeah, Clypeus. Clypeus, yeah. yeah. UFO periodical. Exactly, and I think this was his own periodical that he invented. So just so we're all aware. Right. And so he includes more details. So he says, quote, one day there appeared over the Macedonian camp these, quote, flying shields, as they had been called, which flew in triangular formation led by an exceedingly large one. The others were smaller by almost a half. In all, there were five. The unknown chronicle narrates that they circled slowly over Tyr while thousands of warriors on both sides stood and watched them in astonishment. Suddenly, the largest shield, from the largest shield, came a lightning flash that struck the walls. These crumbled, 
other flashes followed, and the walls and towers dissolved as if they had been built of mud, leaving the way open for the besiegers, who poured in like an avalanche through the breaches. The flying shields, quote-unquote, hovered over the city until it was completely stormed, and then they very swiftly disappeared aloft, soon melting into the blue sky. It's very poetic. Isn't it? And yeah. also, I just want to point out before you continue on here, like some of the, the similar language to the Thutmose's account, the hovering over the city, the disc shape, obviously, like being one of the most the shield, classic. yeah. Mm-hmm. The shield disc mm-hmm. type type formation. Uh, they didn't say one was large and a, bunch, and then a bunch were small in that account, but that's also something that's, you know, common, I guess. Mm. I mean, I'm thinking like Independence Day. Or something like that, maybe. But, I mean, in my head... It has that kind of vibe. Okay, continue. No, totally. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting now we're going from two shields to five. (laughs) So it's getting bigger and bigger. Yes. But is any of this true is kind of... Obviously, the authenticity of this original letter is highly questionable. So we don't really have an original source of it. Many have written this off as a fake or hoax that has been written centuries after the rule of Alexander. Yes. So one question remains is, like, who would be... the author if Alexander didn't write it. It's yeah. one of my, you know, and obviously everyone has their own theories, I guess. Um, we're not going to go into that in large detail sure. or anything like that. I mean, that. we've got a few of our own our own speculations here. True, today, true. Yeah, it's, it's interesting though. According to the same article that I uh, was quoting from before from the Chronicon Mirabellium or whatever, that November 2009 article. Yeah. Uh, written by Giannis Delianis, which is kind of interesting. But he goes on to say, or she, I'm pretty sure it's a he. Uh, He says here, the letter itself is a fake, probably composed in the 4th or 5th century AD. And it was extremely famous, like I mentioned, uh, during the Middle Ages. And there's also a Middle English version known to researchers. So that's kind of interesting. It's definitely... It, it, like I said, it's gone through the eons. It's echoed through time. So right. at this point, that's like 800 years after Alexander, obviously, like fifth century <clears throat> AD, which does make it all sound pretty, pretty fantastical. But mm-hmm. that's the thing that makes this so like stories like this. It's kind of like the Tully Papyrus in a way, mm-hmm. except I feel like the Tully Papyrus maybe has a little more weight to it, obviously, because there's some modern names associated with it who have claimed to have seen it. They have some credentials behind them, whether or not they went to university, have PhDs in Egyptology or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But with this, it's it's like a letter of this that was existed in 300 BC, roughly. That's when he was roughly around, right? Alexander mm-hmm. the Great. It's like, it would not have lasted for one. Like, that would have been extremely difficult to preserve. I mean, again, it's like Library mm-hmm. of Alexandria type stuff. It's like, what kind of, well, yeah. you know, amazing documents that would be so like, unbelievable existed and now we would never know. But also, like, I mean, where, where are you leaning with this? Because, like, with me, I just have, I always have, like, the devil's advocate stuff. It's like there could easily have been, you know, a, a messenger who was meaning to uh, deliver a certain, a certain message in the heat of battle. Mm-hmm. It's worded in a certain way. It actually exists. It is delivered to whoever it's being sent to. Eventually ends up in the hands of maybe somebody associated with Aristotle, but it has nothing to do with exactly what we're reading now. Like, it's, it's, it, mm-hmm. it is describing the battle itself. Maybe well, and it's describing language. something that may have been a natural phenomena. Something that came from the sky evidently was, like, had a fiery element to it. Yeah. There's other more uh, morbid accounts of, like, basically the men 
the soldiers that were exposed to this this flame or whatever, like oh, how did how did I originally describe it here? The fire's flame. The fire fell to the earth like a burning torch, is how it was described in that original sort of thing. Right. And I'm honestly <laughs> picturing lava or something. That's not even remotely accurate. Or I don't even know. Yeah. Like, was it like a solar flare? Was it like something crazy like that? It also just sounds and like then, a meteor shower. So going back to the whole like more morbid accounts is like descriptions of the soldiers literally like ripping off all of their armor because this like this burning hot sand like substance is getting in between their armor and their skin and burning them. Right. And so they rip everything off and expose themselves to the elements. And like, it's just this whole big scene. Yeah. It's tragic scene but i don't I, yeah so it's kind of interesting going back to your original question though where am i leaning on this yeah. obviously i'm not really giving a lot of credit to um alberto fenolio or whatever his name was or frank edwards just because they never cite anything they don't yeah, actually include just... any sources they basically just kind of go off on these elaborate sort of like you know um mm-hmm. fantastical sort of versions which is kind of frustrating yeah and even the, the the researcher that wrote this little piece that's only a few pages, the Giannis Delianis guy, he kind of says the same thing. How it's just increasingly frustrating. How it's just this echo chamber of people that just, you know, they just don't even care to quote like or cite or do anything. So that's really frustrating. But I do have another sort of interesting sort of like angle to explain um, like, you know, maybe these shields that was included in the Italian account and actually does have some historical credence, I guess. And that's the idea that there was actually an elite army division of Alexander's army mm-hmm. known as the Silver Shields, um, or also known as the, sorry folks, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but the Argyraspides. Agiraspides. Yeah, I don't know. sounds good to me. And essentially, this was a division of the Macedonian army of Alexander, and they carried silver-plated shields. Like, think, like, ancient black ops type stuff. Like, these right. were, like, very highly regarded men. Yeah. It was a smaller force, but it was an elite force, and they, like, got shit done. <laughs> and it would have been extremely reflective, obviously, if it yeah. was silver-plated. It would have had the effect of looking like something... Mm-hmm. Futuristic, almost, right? Yeah. I mean, like, clearly, well, yeah, <laughs> sci-fi kind of, kind of, right? Especially if yeah. they were like in a formation True. that maybe would look like a giant disc. Well, like, yeah, all together, but it doesn't really make sense. Like you know, like it the whole idea of them being five shields, one being right. huge, others being smaller. Like it does very sound, well, but like it kind of does like. though. It's like giant formation of a bunch together, then they break off into smaller formations, kind of like it, almost like, like a, um, the three hundred. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Of. Shields, yeah, <laughs> maybe. I, I mean, but then that obviously doesn't explain some of the stuff that's falling. It definitely makes it sound as if there's there's the walls crumbling all the around. Involved here, unless yeah, there was walls an earthquake crumbling, or something. Though, it's like you know you're launching catapults or something. I mean, is this all just poetic description of literally Alexander the Great like <clears> doing <throat> what he does best? Maybe. You know what I mean? But in that case, <laughs> yeah. that's true because he was li- literally the greatest military mind of all time, mm-hmm. arguably. And, uh, well, not even arguably. No, he was. He was He was literally the best at that. So it's like, that kind of makes sense, I guess. I do have, I mean, I guess the other part of it too is the, is the idea that Regardless, like if this is completely made up, mm-hmm. it's ironic that there are so many other accounts that are so similar from the same era mm-hmm. in the 300s and before that we referenced in the past episode with uh, different historians making reference to, yeah, shields, shields yeah. Mm-hmm. like airship type, you know, visitations. Mm. And these are 
are documented. So it's just that juxtaposition, you know what I mean? And I guess that's like what would maybe inspire some people to kind of like lean hard into this and make mm-hmm. it up like Frank Edwards style. Well, especially with someone so some... well known as Alexander. Well, you know? exactly, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, this sort of same thing continues and continues on. So I've got one here that we're jumping way up um, because that was what <laughs> part two is kind of supposed to be. But we really wanted to touch on Alexander the Great because it's so famous. Yeah. But we're kind of, I'm, I'm jumping up here into medieval times, but just to show how long this has been where the same sort of things are being seen. So same I've got descriptors the same descriptors too. exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm jumping up to uh, the month of May in the year 698. This was somewhere in Ireland. The exact location is not stated on the record, but this was uh, referenced in a 17th century translation of a manuscript that uses the term "shield" in it um, as uh, in connection with phenom- strange phenomena in Which the sky. So the manuscript was discovered by a researcher named Yanis Delanius. Hey, that's the same guy I referenced. There you go. Is that the same guy? Yanis Delanius. Well, he's yeah. clearly into uh, searching this kind of stuff. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Okay. Uh, so let me read this. So the text that he found it's it's a Roman from a Roman manuscript. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is no name associated with it, but it reads as follows: Three shields were seen in the heavens, as it were warring from the east to west, after the manner of undulating waves on a very calm night being that of the ascension of the Lord. The first was snowy, the second was fiery, the third was bloody, uh, which prefigured as as is thought, three succeeding evils. Mm, very strange. For in the same year, the herd of cows throughout Ireland were nearly destroyed, and not only in Ireland, but also throughout the whole of Europe. Uh, cows being destroyed? Uh, any any uh, any bells ringing for anyone here in association with the modern UFO phenomena? Yeah. I don't know if these cows were uh, exsanguinated, <laughs> but uh, that is definitely kind of uh, ringing familiar. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the same description of the shapes of the, the disc-shaped craft. Yeah. So, I so just there found, are some parallels there. I just found mm-hmm. that to be interesting. There's another one here, too. I don't really need to read it, but there's just so many. Germany mm-hmm. in the year 776, uh, where specifically two shields were scene with red fl- as if uh, looking like flaming wheels mm-hmm. that uh, soared over a nearby church and basically scared the crap out of everybody causing them to flee in terror this was also referenced in <laughs> wonders in the skies ah uh, yes okay okay so interesting I mean, okay yeah Ah, uh, that's so funny. Giannis Delianis. So going back to the whole cuz like I was quoting originally from his uh his uh, what would you call it not like a blog it is kind of a blog it's like um I don't know, it's a series of articles written by this mm-hmm. guy. He has his own little website here, Delianus, um, and the Chronicon Mirabellium. It's basically described as a historian's look on ancient anomalous celestial phenomena and mysterious history. So historians look, and I like how he does include all of his references and things like that. So it's a little bit more of a... Um, methodological approach to it. Yeah, I would call it that. that. Yeah, Yeah. I I definitely take his approach a little bit more seriously than someone like Frank Edwards, (laughs) who doesn't quote or or cite anything, which is really frustrating to me. I I mean, I guess, (laughs) again, to play the devil's advocate, though, like going back to Andrew Cooney, it's like the Associated Press doesn't source things either. So it is but just they're, kind of like they're, the they're, they're like a primary source, though. Like, they're reporting from the ground, like, on most accounts. You know right. what I mean? I know. And on the ground, you're just taking it as yeah. whatever. Well, that is what value, it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but if you're if you're if you're literally quoting from other secondary sources and trying to create an argument, you need to cite your you need sources. To cite your sources. Like, you need to know where information's coming from. That is one of the most frustrating things in UFOlogy, where it's like, oh, I would cite my sources, but. You know, they're so... I, I don't want to uh, 
it's oh, I like can't give away my it's sources. too classified or something like or, or, like it's, or it was uh, it was given to me in confidence exactly or, that's what I'm trying to say it's not too classified that's the wrong way to phrase it that's not or right. they could say that where it's like I have a contact on the inside and they gave me this information but I can't say where it's from because not in trouble <laughs> right classic like X-Files thing or something that's absolutely classic X-Files uh, okay one thing I really do want to do though here is move away from just shiny shields and flaming <laughs> flaming balls mm-hmm. and uh, things of that nature because I want to see a damn extraterrestrial here. All right. I mean, I'm sure the people that are in some of these next few stories wouldn't be saying this same thing because it would have been pretty pretty strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're jumping up again here just to continue into the medieval period uh, and beyond. 1211 AD. This is the first story we have where we actually encounter some sort of a bean. And the way in which it happens is absolutely bizarre. People that are uh, interested in UFO stuff may have uh, encountered this story before. But essentially, this is uh, a story about the potential death of a visitor from the sky and the mishandling of an extraterrestrial corpse, Hmm. possibly. Wow. So there's different retellings of this story. But essentially, it is referenced in the Gervais of Tilbury. Hmm. So, um, and it was collected in, uh, yeah, so 1211 AD. This is the quote Gervais from of Tilbury. the reference. So wait, this is just an English guy, chronicler? Yeah, so it's okay. referenced in Otila Imperiala, 1211. Hmm. But it's just so bizarre. So it reads as follows. As people were coming out of church in Britain on a dark, cloudy day, they saw a ship's anchor fastened in a heap of stones. Okay? They're not by the ocean. So an anchor with its cable reaching up into the clouds. Hmm. I mean, we just watched Castle in the Sky. That's like the coolest thing ever. (laughs) Yeah. All right? Presently, they saw the cable strained as if the crew was trying to pull it up. But it still stuck fast. Voices were then heard above the clouds, apparently in clamorous debate, and a sailor came down the cable. As soon as he touched the ground, the crew gathered around him, and he died. Okay? As if, like, as if to say he couldn't handle their atmosphere or something. Mm. Okay, we can get that. Mm. Like a man had drowned at sea, suffocated by our mm. damp, thick atmosphere. An hour afterwards, his shipmates cut the cable and sailed away, and the anchor they left behind was made into fastenings and ornaments for the church door hmm. in memory of this wondrous event. It is not reported whether the dead sailor's body is ship, was shipped home in an airship, like later on, as mm. if they came back for him, or whether the deceased was given a Christian burial on Earth. In either case, this would be the first account of an aerial navigator that had died in an accident on our planet hmm. some seven centuries before the incident at Roswell. Wow. Strange. Weird, yeah. So they don't describe this being, though. I mean, presumably it was humanoid enough that it was left it out. Like maybe it was just like he had a suit on that wasn't that wasn't given in the account. Hmm. Uh, but I just I, I wanted to mention it for multiple reasons. One, it's the first one we've we've talked about where there's actually like a, a humanoid entity, yeah. an extraterrestrial entity. Mm-hmm. But two, the second reason. I sound like Buzz from Home Alone. One, we have smoke detectors. And D, we have... (laughs) No, but the second reason was that it's basically like... It's got this interdimensionality to it. It's it, it implies to me almost like... And maybe this is because we just watched the 1980s amazing anime movie 
uh, Castle in the Sky, mm-hmm. where there's very much an interdimensional portion to that story. But it's literally like a cable dropping out of the clouds. Like, yeah. is this just a hovering craft? And if so, why are they not beaming things up and down? You're not going to use a freaking rope ladder. Well, that's just interesting, So it's almost too. like it's like you're flying. It's like the ro- dropping the rope through, like, in Stranger Things. Like, when they're up down. Yeah. Like, drop the rope down through, and then you climb up, and then you flip over on your back, and then you're, mm-hmm. you're through onto the other side. It's got that kind of a feeling totally. to it. And, and even just the fact that the guy died upon impact, essentially, like, kind of speaks to the idea that... Suffocated or something. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Like, it's a it's a hostile environment for some. Like, maybe right? he's an anaerobic being. You know what else it kind of smacks of to me, uh, weirdly? It's almost like the space version of... Of like the early days of the Franklin expedition, like these guys are out and about on their way, mm. and then like I can't remember the name of the um, Beachy, right? They dropped the first two mm-hmm. who were not doing so hot on Beachy Island, and then kept on moving. It's like maybe mm. that was this guy. Maybe that was this, yeah, exactly. They're on their interdim- their yeah, he was already journey. compromised, and yeah, they just. <laughs> Right. Like, see you later, buddy. Like, <laughs> I wish they'd included more of a description of this guy, like as opposed to just like a sailor, like a sailor, like what? But anyways, yeah, that's interesting, and it actually speaks to. Um, I did collect a number of stories from Adam's latest release, The Oddities in Print, because mm-hmm. I was trying to find more. Like, yeah, antiquated stories, like, you know, from the 1800s and things like that about potential airship encounters. And it was interesting because a lot of the ones I encountered actually rang very similarly to that. Yeah. Where it almost seemed as if it was like a a ship. So an actual ship in the sky that was manned by potential humans. Like there was like, you know, like there was accounts of people hearing voices and music and laughter and things. And, mm-hmm. and a, a monocle drops from the sky at one point. And a other, monocle, other, yeah. yeah. And other yeah. sorts of um, evidences of like human beings being on this ship. So it was almost like a right. more of a human thing versus like an alien thing per se, but still very strange, obviously. Obviously. And then that t- that touches on lots of stuff I was just saying too. It's like, mm-hmm. is that, that is like so steampunk. You it know is. What I mean, it's like it it's is, 1800s. Yeah. People are like... Like, it's very, like, Wild Wild West. It's like, like uh, that Against the Day book, that Thomas Pichon, where it's basically, like, a world of, like, these people in ships that are, like, airships, exactly yes, that. And it's, totally. like, this fantastical, like, way of traveling around. Right? And, and when I say Wild Wild West, everyone, I'm referring to the film with, like, the giant mechanical spider, not the Wild Wild West, because that's very not Wild Wild West, like, gunslingers. But technology-wise, oh, like, the are film... Are you quoting a Will Smith movie? <laughs> oh, did I? Who else is in it, though, is Kevin Klein, and I love Kevin Klein. All right, fine. We'll just Kevin Klein it's a Kevin Klein movie. It's a Kevin Klein movie. There we go. (laughs) Shall we move on to another bizarre actual humanoid one? Yeah, let's do it. As we kind of continue along. Stack them up. Let's stack them up. (laughs) Once again, we are jumping up a tiny bit and we're shifting continents here. Mm -hmm. This was the first one from Australia that I had come across in Wonders in the Skies that really, really, really struck me because. They, these guys didn't die yeah. uh, when they came down their rope, if that's how they got there. Shout out to all of our Australian listeners. Yeah, what's up, Wes? Shout out, Wes. How's it going, buddy? And uh, shout out to, uh, well, we got a bunch of friends oh, we in got Australia. Jackson but I mean, there. Jackson, what's up, Jackson? Mm-hmm, we um, got... Aaron Bloom. Shout out to Aaron Bloom. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyways. All the Australian and, and Matt, Matt Baldwin. Matt, yeah. All the Australian friends. <laughs> okay. So this is this is where uh, an an event happened where tall beans actually were strutting their stuff around the town that were All right. like definitely not <laughs> of this world strutting around. So March, uh, no specific day, but March of eighteen twenty eight, mm-hmm. Mount Wingen or Wingen. I don't know if the G is silent. Australia. We have a cigar shaped craft that actually lands, and then these things are <laughs> doing stuff. So. 
reads as follows. This is on page 301 of Wonders in the Skies by uh, Jacques Vallée. <laughs> a mysterious flying object was said to have descended upon Mount Wingen at the Burning Mountain Nature Reserve. It was, quote, cigar-shaped and had a funny silver color. It also made a loud banging noise, according to the report. It also goes on to say, when it landed, it set fire to all the vegetation and killed all of the nearby cattle. Hmm. So that's some physical evidence. Mm-hmm. Right? Allegedly, after this, tall strangers appeared in the town at the same time. They never said anything, but always pointed to things that they wanted. It's kind of creepy, right? Yeah. What year is this, sorry? This was in... This was in 1828. Okay. So kind of the same area you're talking about for our yeah. stay tuned patrons for, uh, for yeah. a, a, a really fun episode. Got a little episode. bonus app for you guys More coming. stuff coming. I mean, bonus app. we got to get you guys a bunch of apps. Thanks for your patience. Well, a bonus app related to this yes, particular indeed. series. Mm-hmm. But just continuing to finish quickly here. The, the event must have caused quite a stir as the folk of Wingen began linking it with strange disappearances among them. Hmm. Quite often people just disappeared. And dogs and domesticated animals vanished as well. This was written by an informant referring to the tale that his grandfather used to tell him and that was well known throughout the community. Hmm. So again, almost sort of like an oral tradition story. Yeah. And, I mean, we didn't dig into Australian archival records for for just this one reading here or anything like that. But it's like, I wonder if there would be... References from that year of missing cattle, missing yeah. people. What was the source they referenced? Uh, Valet's referencing there? Uh, Valet's referencing, it's just in like, sorry, it's from uh, the Australian Post. Mm, okay. That was a reprint from a guy named W. Chalker, uh, 1947 Australian Aboriginal Cultural and, and Possible UFO Connections, 1996 was republished. Hmm. So, okay. again, sort of like one of those sources similar to, like, the <laughs> the potential Frank Edwards mm. uh, favorite types of sources. I just thought that was such a fun story because it's a little, little bit more it fun. almost sounds like the Nordics we referenced in the uh, Mysteries at Big Ben National Park episode. Yeah. Uh, where extremely tall beings seem, like, seemingly communicated via uh, telepathic means didn't actually open their mouths to say, hey, I'm Dave. Mm, yeah. And just pointing weirdly at stuff, and I'm picturing them pointing with just, like, weird, creepy, long fingers that don't really make sense, and they're like, hey, are you kind of human, kind of not? <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know, All man. A cigar, silvery cigar-shaped craft. Right. Well, I wonder what happened to the craft. They weren't seen exiting the craft, though. They're just like, the craft hmm. lands, and then they're just they're just amongst the people. Yeah. And then people start to be abducted, presumably. Creepy. So you got cattle deaths again, abductions, and tall, strange beings. And then, yeah. I, guess, I guess maybe the reason I wanted to mention that one is just it matches up with modern interpretations of potential Nordics or greys. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah. it was, maybe, could have been, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. So we've got craft, we've got shields, we've got beings, we've got, and these are from all over the world. Like, you know, it's just kind of fun. Over. I like that. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I guess, the, and the reason we're jumping all over is like, the question that makes me ask is like, does all of this, is this all potential evidence, these historical accounts all added together? Does it lend to the theory that the earth, you know, that us and earth is some kind of like either an experimental space 
maybe some sort of a colony in simplistic terms. Obviously, like the kind of boring thing with the greys is always like, you know, and X-Files played this out to the umpteenth degree is like it's a it's a genetic program mm-hmm. They're for hybridiza- hybridization. They're either yeah. future humans that have realized we're screwed and we need to go back in time and like fix this in advance mm-hmm. or they're not and they're just trying to do weird experiments. Maybe it's, maybe Earth is just um, a one big space station. It's just like a, a central station. <laughs> but it must be because it's like it's not, they've been coming way before they had we had things that presumably they'd be interested in like way before nuclear technology yeah you know what I mean? like alexander's armies using spears and arrows and swords well, exactly all these stories kind of um they don't prop up the idea that ufos are a modern phenomena brought about by the event of yeah exactly the nuclear age and increasing uh technological capabilities of human beings and because right. a lot of people do point to that as like oh like either they're co-conspirators with covert government programs or they're here to study us because yeah. of these programs existing or whatever so like that kind of negates all of that true there's but, also the flip side to that too where it's almost like we think that like splitting the atom and coming up with nuclear tech is like high technology when they might only be interested in in us doing that, like, you know, UFOs seen around nuclear facilities and stuff like that, because it's like, oh, look at these idiots. Like, they just figured out the bare bones, <laughs> right? Where, they don't know anything. <laughs> as potentially ancient peoples, may or may not have figured out a few certain tricks of the earth type of thing, right? So it's like one option, I feel like, is that some of these cultures, like the ancient Egyptians, actually did have super advanced technology and were able to manipulate their environments in sort of interesting ways that... Talking Stargates here? I am talking Stargates, (laughs) and we'll get into that for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's Stargate. (laughs) Actually, and believe it or not, I have to reference this because you you just brought up Stargate. If you guys... Stargates. But if you guys have seen the film Stargate, it's actually super fun. Maybe we'll do a Film Friday on it when when we resurrect Film Friday. But there was a really interesting episode of the Kryptonaut podcast I listened to recently where there was actually a connection to to the story uh, in Stargate where I think it was Osiris was the god, the Egyptian god in in Stargate where they said, oh, he was the creator and it was actually just like an alien. Oh. Remember? Because it was all Egyptian in that movie, right? I actually can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah. But okay. there was this story on, just very briefly, go listen to the, it's their most recent episode, Kryptonaut. But it was this uh, about this guy who was basically like semi-abduction kind of an account where he's taken into like this water realm and encounters these very strange beings. And they basically tell him that they were created by Osiris. Hmm. Mm. The same god referenced by the Egyptians. Okay. And so, again, maybe this guy was a big Stargate fan. I don't know. But I I just found (laughs) that to be be very, very, very interesting. When did that story take place, I wonder? That actually was, he, well, it was published in 2010. But it happened to him in the 80s, I think. Oh. So it's actually pretty modern. Oh. More modern, more modern account. Mm -hmm. I guess the third thing in all of this is that they are not coming from a place that has any sort of linear time. So when we're thinking like, oh, they're coming to see ancient peoples, why would they care? They're not thinking of it that way. They're mm-hmm. just there. And maybe they're also looking at us Space in the future, time, too. Yeah. It, they're just existing all over the place. Yeah. Because um, I just I don't think the quote-unquote military interests of aliens, I just think this is so overly simplistic. You know what I mean? It's um, a little bit more beyond that, eh? Hmm. Yeah. I, I, I don't think... Because it is strange, though, that some of these encounters are involved around military engagements. So if you believe the Alexander one... There's also other sightings where or it's, like, you know... world leaders around, like, you know, yeah. throughout space and like time. Like Thutmosis, like, mm-hmm. in the Tully, yeah. he was one of the greatest conquerors of all Egyptian pharaohs. And then we have this alleged 
story. So I believe it's more to do with the actual ancient sites themselves, mm-hmm. potentially the battlefield upon where Alexander was fighting, if you believe that story, or other accounts like that, rather than it being like the person or clearly the technology. They're not hmm. interested in the sword technology. It's yeah. some, there's there's something else to it. So you think there's just like hot spots essentially where these things are coming and going perhaps and that we just happen to notice them every now and then kind of thing. I think other than Even the though last some of their actions seem to be directed towards us, like yeah. you know, like at human populations, but definitely. I mean, other than the last two stories. <laughs> if you believe that I, any of this at all. <laughs> if you believe any of this at all. And like other than the last two accounts I just read in in Europe and in Australia the stuff we've been referencing has been taking place on like either sacred ground or like places close to sacred ground. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like and in Egypt, close to where there's going to be ley line crossing over and then, and the, the great pyramids and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I did dig into, we rarely reference Gaia for the show mm-hmm. because it's a bit woo woo, crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I did end up looking into some of the articles they had in reference to this stuff. They make suggestions about how there's, I mean, we've talked about Black Ops programs before, but, like, even NASA or deep beyond NASA talk, doing research into completely separate things other than, like, what they claim to be looking at and, like, actually, like, employing archaeologists and being more interested in ancient sites themselves hmm. in relation to constellations, in relation to their energy sources and things like that. I find that to be pretty fascinating, uh, whether you believe that's actually happening or not. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, like, even, oh, I'm forgetting the name of the book, what was it? Oh, the Search for Zero Point? Yeah, Point Energy. Yeah, and in that, he did reference quite a few different potential options for, yeah, exactly that, covert black, like, government programs that are allegedly don't exist, but do exist. But do exist. (laughs) So, yeah, that he actually kind of thought NASA was... One of the more benign uh, um, uh, agencies, but uh, it's interesting because he was very um, apt in describing the state of competitiveness between different branches of the government in the U.S. and and different programs and things like that, and how it's all very compartmentalized. Oh, yeah. So even if one part, like maybe NASA, would have like a secret. Um, department that no one would know about because it's so compartmentalized. Yes. People could even be researching the exact same things within different agencies and not even know about it. So it's kind of sad because it's almost like the opposite of the age of internet where information sharing is vital. And you would think that that would obviously make leaps and bounds a lot more faster. But uh, he was kind of describing the exact opposite state of being, which is kind of interesting in my mind. But. No, that it, no, yeah. that absolutely is. Yeah, yeah no, there's a potential. A lot of people do go there, but well, yeah, we've gone there we before. We've, we, that. <laughs> we've got we've talked about that in so many different episodes. Yeah. Like I don't know why Philadelphia experiment is just popping into my head big time right now. With oh, that, yeah. you know, it's just all yeah, a little. But even that itself, crazy. he uses that as a. It's almost like part of the misinformation campaign type yes. thing that has been perpetuated throughout the century right. or decades. I guess. I guess the one part about ancient <laughs> structures being involved is that there is some, like something more like concrete to at least put your thumb on as, as a jumping off point to be like, okay, like this actually does exist like as a place, mm-hmm. whether or not the type of research that we're talking about is actually happening there. Like then you can maybe like try to dig into that further rather than being like, did this happen or not? And we actually mm. have no idea Yeah, because there's this, yeah, I, I love that idea that mm. there are 
like ancient structures placed on top of even more ancient structures and that they may or may not have interests from extraterrestrials and from humans as well to try to uncover this connection, like that there may actually be like ancient space programs or land insights or, dare I say, Stargate type mm-hmm. technology, which actually doesn't, it sounds crazy, but it's not. It's literally proposed by Einstein. Like wormholes. Like the Einstein, it's like essentially wormholes. Mm-hmm. And I'll talk about it again in a sec, <clears throat> but I mean, like, you know, it's been hypothesized by theoretical physicists for decades and decades that this can potentially be harnessed that you can potentially make a stable portal mm-hmm. Stephen Hawking was one of those people rest in peace among others so it's not completely crazy mm-hmm. and I guess the question is where would you go where would where would it take us if we actually went through something like that no kidding Magonia <laughs> I suppose you might say okay I wanted to just quickly all reference right. it because because we're we're wondering in all this, I'm like, where, what what the hell are these people seeing? Yeah. And if they are, and if all if any of this is real at all, it's like, where are they coming from? Right. It's I I do not believe nuts and bolts stuff. I do not believe long distances are being traveled at all. But what if they are being achieved through these wormhole type things? But then it's still a short distance. Like, it's, but it's still nuts and bolts craft. Well, nuts and bolts. Uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I suppose it might be. Yeah, because if you're physically transporting beings you're physically transporting other things too then. but even their craft itself might be like biological you know what i mean but it's like still a physical than, thing it doesn't matter if it's like yeah, mechanical well, or biological well yes it does what do you mean of course it does it would be completely different. Yeah, but it's, i'm saying like it physically exists like you know what i mean like okay yeah yeah no, i know i get what you're saying I yeah get what you're saying. as opposed to it being like a mirage or an echo through time or something else like, well i know, guess or, that's the perfect way that's like a perfect segue into just touching on magonia because for those of you who haven't heard about it it's essentially was proposed by again jacques valet 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 he wrote a book called passport to magonia it was essentially making the argument uh that historical sightings of diminutive creatures, strange beings throughout history that have been chronicled as, you know, fairies, pixies, leprechauns, um, uh, trolls, like so other like strange creatures, like essentially, essentially, essentially like, yeah, strange encounters with the magical, the magical realms mm-hmm. may or may not be directly associated with extraterrestrials. Like these may be extraterrestrials, uh, or inter- mm-hmm. ultra-terrestrials, interdimensional creatures, whatever angle you want to take it, mm-hmm. but that that this could be very much one and the same. And it was actually referenced by this... Uh, oh my gosh, I'm, where we find it here. So let me just describe it here. So Magonia is the name of a cloud realm from whence, quote, felonious aerial sailors were said to have come <laughs> according to commonly held beliefs that were denounced in this uh, work called the Polemical Treatise by uh, Carolingian Bishop Agabard of Lyon in the year 815 AD. So it was a treatise entitled On Hail and Thunder? Yes. Okay. Uh, where he makes this argument that basically, yes, it was this 9th century manuscript lit- written in Latin. Hey, where, the Carolingians, eh? I haven't had a reference right? all that since I was in uh, my uh, medieval history class. Yeah, that's a throwback. <laughs> I actually studied those The Carolingians, yeah, super yeah. throwback. Very early France. And, but yeah, he makes this reference that he was complaining about the French peasantry's belief in this certain region that was known as Magonia, where these, quote, cl- ships were said to come from. Hmm. Very much like the ship with the rope that came yeah. down in the sailor. We just watched Castle in the Sky. 
too. So like I said before, so again, that's quite kind of ringing bells for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes on, the, the work from this guy goes on just basically say that these vessels carried occupants that would like t- take people back to like, they basically it was abduction stories with them. So yeah, Magonia, this, this crazy cloud realm, basically. Uh, I don't, I don't even need to get too, too much into it, but I guess that sort of potentially ties into this. It's like, it is just these points on earth all the all the interest piece stuff, like oh, do they care about Alexander the Great? Do they care about Thutmosis and Egypt technology? It's like I feel like these places might just be sitting on top of like ancient spots they just happen to come and go from. Hmm. You know what I mean? And maybe they're like just the pissed. It's like you're in front of my door. Sorry, this Magonia you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, like, like they're coming and going from Magonia, and wherever there's different like in- exits and entrances to this place. So I'm I'm just. So it's very vague here. It's a cloud region. Yes. Where ships come and go. Where and people have claimed to have seen ships coming and going and have, have conversed with different creatures. What do, they, what do they see exactly? Like a region. Like, what do you mean? Like a region. Like, is this an island? Is this actually something in the sky? I don't like, even I don't think understand. you could pinpoint what exactly it how is. Do they it's know, like, that would be too specific. How do they know what it is? Like, what do you mean, how, how do they, they know, know like, what where, it is? Well, where ships come and go, can they, like, see it? Can they access it? Like, I don't understand. Like, is it is it a mirage? Well, if you're standing on the clouds? ground and all of a sudden an alien aircraft comes out of the sky, you're going to be like, well, it came from somewhere. And then if you have other references to a place from whence it came, then you're going to, that's the natural progression of that logic. I guess. Is okay. it not? Okay. Okay. So but Magonia I, is kind of just like a hairy fairy kind of up in the. It's literally kind of just thing. like, no, it's not. It's, it's, well, <laughs> yes, yeah. it is. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, but, it is. <laughs> but it's also just like a very, very, very basic interpretation of various different creatures that have been documented throughout time. That people do see, mm-hmm. that come and go from somewhere, and yeah. this is the place that some people believe that Magonia. they come that they come and go from. Where Forget do they the Where do they come up with that though? Like, what's the yeah? Like, what's the origin of the? Well, name? we're gonna have like, to buy and read Passport to Magonia. I guess so. Okay, this episode was not about <laughs> Passport to Magonia. Well, I'm just curious where the heck like you know because we've heard about a bunch of st- like you we've know, like, referenced Magonia before. I know, too. yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm just like kind of like. I don't know. I'm just curious for more of the origins of all this kind of stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, it, it's... Yeah. A certain region. I so don't even... I, yeah, you're I, quoting a 9th century Latin script up here. Yes. That's talking... It's from the perspective of an archbishop of Lyon. Right. That's complaining about French peasantry's insistent belief on this region called Magonia. Right. He so goes on to say, though, that he even witnessed the stoning to death of three, like, quote, men and women who were said to have fallen from one of these ships. Okay. All right. Like, is that just a... Right. Are you just stoning people that you, like, don't like? Well, yeah. Basically. Like, I'm kind of like... Hmm. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's just one of those things that's just floated throughout the centuries, like from the medieval era all the way up into like you know like um, pre-modern times, kind of. Yeah, thing. essentially. And I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think everyone was being like, yeah, leprechauns come from Magonia, and so do pixies, and so do the blue men of Minch. So it was the, uh, valet that was kind of tying those together. Is that yeah, what you're he, here? he like, basically okay. was referencing extensively. Uh, in in Passport to Magonia, this this idea that folklore around the world can be linked these entities like leprechauns fairies to the extraterrestrial phenomena because there are obviously is stories with people going missing with mm-hmm. these little creatures too and stuff like that yeah like abductions there are lots of different connections you can make between folklore creatures and actual encounters with either large or small extraterrestrials and like that's that includes trolls we've talked about trolls for an episode 
Yes, we did. What if those are the henchmen <laughs> of this cloud connected. realm? Oh my goodness. Everything kind of sort of is connected, though. I mean, some you know who might argue that? Your favorite guy. I know. A Mr. Crafts. Craftsman. <laughs> oh, well, hey, you're not a big fan. So I can mispronounce his name. You wouldn't be too, too offended. Let's get it right. I mean, because the, the question is, how, got it so how the hell would you get to and from Magonia, I guess? You just asked that. Like, I just understand. Like, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, it almost reminds me of a child's fairy tale where it's like, oh, there's something we can't explain about this world. So we're just going to make up a fun, fantastical place like in Atlantis or something. You know what I mean? Just well, to kind of sure, like, but if just to also, give them a home. Yeah, but if you're also a- actually seeing this shit and trying to figure out where I mean. they're from. That's what I mean. Yeah. like you. Yeah, but Amber, you can't, you're having your cake and eat it too. It's either like made up like a kid, but if you're adults that are actually like encountering this stuff and you're trying to rationalize it and you're like talking to the peasant folk. Answer me this. Okay. Has any of these researchers ever traveled to Magonia themselves and seen it firsthand? Uh, well, our next story uh, possibly <laughs> talks about <laughs> talks about that. I mean, <sighs> all right, all you right. are really. No, I'm just curious because I'm like, all right, is this just the fantastical imaginings of people that are like, yeah, there's all this crazy stuff going on, so we just invented this place where they all happen to come from. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, is there, <laughs> is it like the Lycan Castle in the Sky, where the guy said his father literally saw the image of, uh, I can't remember what it was called, Lupita, Lupita, Laputa, 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 yeah, like yeah. Anyways, and like. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, like, trying to think, like, is there I'm any sightings it. of this beyond, like, you know, just the phenomena that happens to originate from it, supposedly? Well, but that's know? just it. It's like, we ha- this next example may or may not be exactly what you're looking for. It's mm-hmm. not as if you, like, walk in and there's a door and there's a big How sign convenient. on the door that says, welcome to Magonia, <laughs> population 482, try the veal. All right. Well, okay. I'm always up for some good veal, so. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So, that's like the last thing I'd order. We are going to reference here possibly an entrance to Magonia and Uh or another place. We've talked about it before, but I was trying to, like, rationalize. It's like, where, what are some examples that are even remotely adjacent to this? And one of them was a story that we talked about before in our Grand Canyon episode, Kincaid's Cave. With a character known as Hank Craftsman, who basically allegedly found, or well, was brought to this Stargate. Let's mm-hmm. basically call it that. A All portal. Right. Yeah, some sort of portal. Right? Of do you want to just, do you want to hop into this here? Yeah, well, okay. So the whole story comes about when Hank was a student at North Northern Arizona University and allegedly spent time with uh, a crew of Hopi Indians, including one by the name of Kopavi. This and is like verbatim written to, by the way, people like yeah, Native yeah. Americans. That's how they, he referred to them as Hopi Indians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, exactly, exactly. And uh, so uh, allegedly this Kopavi character that was a part of this group uh, had been granted special access to places through his elders because he had a specific interest in the folklore of the Hopi. Mm -hmm. And through his relationship with Hank, they began to converse about this type of things, and uh, essentially after a while, he agreed to lead Hank to this place and show him the power of the landscape and things that most people wouldn't believe, allegedly, as the special protected knowledge of these peoples. So in the story, Hank is essentially blindfolded and led to this remote area within the Grand Canyon. Um, And then essentially he 
Okay, so this is kind of like according to Hank himself, and he's quoted in an interview. So this is directly from the horse's mouth. He says here, <laughs> quote, After what seemed to be an eternity, we came to a stop, and Carl removed my blindfold. As my eyes, so that's Kopavi, Carl Kopavi. Right. As my eyes adjusted to the bright sunlight again, I looked around me. We were in a large clear, sorry, a large clearing flush against the canyon wall. Carl motioned for me to climb down from my now uncomfortable perch as he did the same. After stretching my tensed-up body, I turned to Carl, who was standing next to the sheet cliff wall. Put your hand against the wall right here, he said, pointing at the solid rock face. I did as he asked, and my hand didn't stop. It continued right through the wall. It seemed that the cliff wall was only a created illusion to keep unwanted people away. Actually, it was the entrance to a large secret cave called Pupavi. As we walked inside, I was amazed to find the cave brightly lit. Before us was a sort of escalator-type device, which you lay down on. There was some sort of transparent bubble, which covered you, called a Hawiovi. This is all him. My heart was beating fast, so I stood looking at this strange sight as I caught my breath. Now I have a confession to make. For years, I have been telling people that this is as far as I went. I lied. I was told not to reveal any more than this. However, I have now been given permission to tell the rest of the story. Actually, I proceeded from this point all the way into the underground Hopi city of Palakkuapi. Okay, so so this is... We can stop there. So now he's in this underground crazy city and this is also like slightly different than actually how we covered it i think in the king the kincaid's episode we abbreviated it because basically Mm -hmm. he goes on to say that he's led into like a purification chamber yeah uh there's like a transference that takes place where he he himself is almost like yeah it's almost like star trek like beam me up scotty type stuff oh yeah where he then ends up in this other world where mm-hmm. there's trans flying transparent orbs that are carrying what appear to be humanoid beings around yeah. in them uh, as some sort of like a transport <laughs> so medium. Like, Let me quote this though because you said there's not going to be a big old sign that says welcome to. <laughs> so essentially, this is so funny. This is, I'm just going to quote this again. Okay. This is from Hank. He says here, first we went into a large cave room called Pusivi, and my friend and guide said. Welcome to Tuasanavi, the center of the world. So he's announcing it. There's not a sign, but he's, like, announcing it to him. There's not, like, a a Vegas sign. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm picturing almost. Okay. He says here, the room had many doors as it had a precaution in case any unauthorized person penetrated the area so they wouldn't know which door leads to the city. And he says here, I understood him without him saying anything that you would not want to open the wrong door. Ooh. This could be an underground intersection to different realms. Ooh. Right? Very scary. That's Who knows stuff. what kind of worlds? This reminds me of almost the night before Christmas where it's all the doors yes, and the trees. <laughs> exactly like that. Except it's not going to be a holiday you're getting into. No. Um, anyway, so he says here, yeah, essentially his guide puts his hand over one of these doors that has a bunch of strange symbols on it, and then mm-hmm. they entered this clean white room. Whoa, where this is the purification <laughs> <Whoa>. chamber. Whoa. <laughs> With a light purple glow. Oh my it's gosh. It's the Brio Spa from Exactly. Uh, and he describes how these negativities, quote unquote, and bacteria were removed from their bodies. So then they were able to enter the city. So he's kind of like, honestly, like, yeah, you're saying Stargate, you're saying Portal. I think Hank is kind of leading us to an idea of like, he's thinking 
thinking about this as like the center of the hollow earth and he is a hollow earth proponent i'm just gonna say that right now um but yeah had hank had he actually been shown another dimension a portal to another world a way through this veil like you know like i don't know because is it really hollow earth though if you've gone through into a different dimension it's like it's like the the idea of it but isn't literally like Mm -hmm. hey i'm on earth and then it's hollow there's a path I can take a tunnel. Yeah. This is like kind of like that, but then you're in this yeah. other. And then he he, he goes on to describe, like we mentioned in the Grand Canyon episode, that he essentially was seeing a very fantastical, very futuristic city, flying vehicles, like all this kind of stuff. Right. It reminds me of the Jetsons, right? Um, I don't know what it reminded you of. I mean. Yeah, so that yeah. was kind of his story, right? And that was our initial introduction to Hank Craftsman. We came across this in an episode of Mysteries of the National Park. That yes. was our initial introduction to him. Yeah. But when you Google this particular fellow, Hank Craftsman, one of the first things that will come up is an IMBD, IMDB restaurant. Sorry, I always get those mixed up. I do too. Ah, and this was in relation to a documentary film he produced about Admiral Byrd and the Hollow Earth. Oh, Admiral mm. Byrd. I'm a fan. Big I know. Fan. It's a part of an alternate science series, uh, documentary series that was released in 1992 in Australia. So he's Australian? Yeah, no, he's not Australian, but it, I didn't think it's so. probably the only place you could get it published. <laughs> <laughs> no. Wow. What a, what a dig on the straight to Australian broadcasting. No, no, I'm not, I don't know. Who knows? Like, maybe <laughs> just like... You actually think it would be an American thing. I don't know. But it's kind of hilarious because if you actually read the little, like, um, what's it called? Like, the little uh, descriptor, I guess, of the documentary, it says this. Dr. Hank Craftsman shows us tons of evidence for an entrance to the hollow earth and how UFOs relate to the center of this planet. Hopi Indians have been telling legends of how and where to enter the hollow earth. You have to see this to believe it. <laughs> that's the end quote there. Which um, is true. Like, yeah. Like the whole, well, like that's ho- a, that's a big sell. Been, right. But I mean, we've, I mean, but. It's a big promise to it, people out there. I mean, they, if anyone would know, they would know. You think? Well, the peoples have been there for friggin' tens of thousands of years. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. But it's kind of sad because he doesn't present information in a coherent fashion. He's one of those people that won't actually cite his sources. Uh, there was, unfortunately, a lot of incredibly poor views of this particular documentary, including... But it just says here, essentially, in this day and age, especially since 2017, this is an insult to one's intelligence. It discusses pseudoscience and is a poorly organized lecture, which makes leaps in logic to get to the point, adding insult to injury. The lecture appears to have been done in the early 90s, where the camera is mounted on a tripod in a lecture hall, and the subject is lit only by the room's fluorescent lights. And, oh, there's someone in the audience sitting next to the microphone that has a chronic cough. <laughs> you can hear it more clearly than this. Wow, I can't believe you put this there was a lot there was a lot of them though like this is just the funniest one to me there's some bones to pick there yeah yeah so it's kind of sad it kind of reminds people a lot of stuff we come across especially on youtube but uh yeah no i don't know poor hank eh he's not getting uh that much to yeah thanks no thanks to you well the other thing too is like the idea that he's calling himself a doctor and he has no clear credentials to back that up well you can get a doctorate online these days pretty easily 
I roll. Uh, I roll. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. Uh, no. No, 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 no. And he is actually dead right now, so we, maybe we should pay him a little more respect. Uh, yeah, rest in, rest in peace, Hank. Maybe he's chilling in Magonia right yeah. now. But the thing is, though, he's one of those guys. It's just like, everything's connected. I have been given this secret knowledge and, like, you know, this privileged sort of perspective on things. And it's like... It's one of those people but, where it's almost like, are you a plant? Like, are you literally just doing this, like, just to stir the pot and, like, yeah, make it so obscure? Yeah, part of the misinformation like, campaign. Whatever. Maybe. Just like the guy from, like, again... I referenced it twice, but the uh, like the Philadelphia Experiment episode where there was that guy doing that research, right? Claimed to mm-hmm. go do an interview or something, and then the guy, yeah. and then the guy was like killed, like murdered or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, yeah, un- yeah, unrelated. Actually, but. yeah, totally. You know, one thing I will say though, Hank Craftsman is really frustrated in the sense that he is all about selling his books. He's all about like you know the ticket sales to his little conferences, um, or was I guess now he's dead. But he in all the interviews I was seeing, it's like basically he's like teeing it up. Like you know how he said here, he was like, "Oh, before I said that I didn't uh, go any further, but I was lying, and you have to buy my book to find out all about it." So it's just kind of like another big eye roll there. It's like, really, nobody? I guess. Kind I, of I suppose. No, I, I get that. But this is the problem that we keep running into with this stuff. Like, same as I said with the uh, Alexander the Great, you know, uh, hoax for the people that believe that to be a hoax. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm right there, but I wouldn't call it that. I wouldn't call it a hoax because a hoax implies it's like, oh, you see something happening and it was, and it was made up. Mm-hmm. This is just a, you know, what's that thing called where you whisper a story in someone's ear and then by telephone. 10 people yeah the telephone game it's sort of yeah. maybe more more so like that but it's also with this with this Hank Craftsman, Craftsman situation it's the idea that there are these ancient traditions ancient legends stories from indigenous peoples like the Hopi that mm-hmm. do describe these types of places that do describe ways in which you can transcend to these types of places it isn't just purely spiritual eating a bunch of magic mushrooms and dancing around in a circle necessarily it's <laughs> Maybe you actually do some some ancient wisdom of the, sh- it, it, and that's the thing too. It's like we've said on the show a lot where it's like ancient peoples, ancient peoples. It's not as if to say that like every ancient Egyptian knew everything about everything, right? It was it's the same as now. Knowledge was preserved by the elite. It was the mm-hmm. the the elite priests that would maybe know how to achieve some of this stuff, how to go somewhere else. So. There's a story that seems entirely made up, but it's just associated with these things that like are concrete. And again, that's like why people maybe latch onto them, but it also makes it really hard to ever decipher whether or not it's just purely legend. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I guess so. Right? Yeah. Because we're trying... <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I just have a hard time with all these people that just, like, have no credentials and they just, like, just... I don't no, know, but that's not the problem, though. That's not the problem. He, he, zero credentials. To- no. he, he could be completely full of shit. But what he's basing his full of shit story on is real stuff. Real stories, real legends, real concepts. And that's what makes it so difficult. You know yeah, I mean? true. And so, like, when we're looking for something I guess, like Stargates, I guess what I'm, yeah, no, true, true. I, I just, know. I just, when you start including things like, you know, you're going into all sorts of stuff. Like, you're not just focusing on like, hey, I am really keen on studying Hopi folklore, and I'm actually maybe going to get a doctorate so I can actually do this legitimately mm-hmm. and actually maybe formulate arguments in a coherent fashion so people can follow your logic and right. not just 
jump, 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 jump. It's like a leapfrogging yeah. where it's just like, are these threads even here? Like, I don't think so. Right. I don't even have the patience to actually sit down and watch that documentary oh, either because no, I'm just like, take, it'll just no. be so frustrating to me. We've, we've covered enough hollow. But like literally he's talking to... about these, like, yeah, like the ley lines, the men in black, the crystal skulls, all this kind of stuff. Okay, and I'm just like, buddy, like, come on now. That's a bit much. Slow your roll. You are literally... Uh, devaluing yourself is right. kind of where I come from. Although I guess you could draw lines between all those things. I mean, <laughs> the men in black. Play lines? Play lines? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, because, like, you know, power sources, yeah, that's where you end up creating the crystals, and then the men in black are pissed about it, and they're coming to ask about it. Hey, and, uh, you know. I guess I got to give him props for being so uh, confident in his ideas that, you know, like, he's, uh, he was a pretty big uh, contributor to a bunch of things, including mm-hmm. the International UFO Library magazine, uh, as well as the Hollow Earth Insider publication, right. which is still a website called, it's just like T-H-E-A-E-I, yeah. sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So I guess you just have to you'd be like, hey, good on you, man. You went and balls in, the wall. And like, in this field, that's what we have to do. It's like, it's always trying to be like, <laughs> looking at credentials, like, yes, you have to look at credentials, takes things with a grain of salt. But there's just such degrees of it. It's like, I feel like this guy is like the shitty version of like Andrew Collins, right? Because he doesn't have a PhD, but his research is thorough and he cites things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas like middle ground is like maybe like Graham Hancock as far as like alternative archaeology. Doesn't have the Mm -hmm. credentials. Doesn't really cite quite as much as Andrew Collins does from what I've seen in the works that I've written. Yeah. Read, not written. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, so he just occupies this liminal space. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Amber is pretty... She, she ain't got no time for this guy. She ain't got no time for handcrafts. I don't know. I just, yeah, it was kind of frustrating. And just, like, he just seems like one of those characters. It's like, I would probably talk to you for less than two minutes and just not be able to... It'd be like the 15-minute rule with Bob and his dad. It's like... Just, yeah, yeah, and you it's know, and, and to his his discredit, I guess maybe his accent even uh, does him a little bit of disservice too, because like you know, someone like Andrew Collins can sound very intelligent because he's got this wicked little like English accent yeah, kind of thing, and yeah. you know. But I, I don't want to say like that's the reason why I'm like discrediting him. It's just the fact that. No, but other people would for sure. Well, true, true. And that's why and like, it's hard to listen to it, too. Right. It's well, like, yeah. I hate to say it, but it's like you know, like it's just well, sometimes it has to do with the way that you phrase things. It has to, yeah, formulate your arguments. In a way source that's, your stuff. Yes, please include sources. <laughs> anyway. It makes you wonder though if yeah. like he started off at a point where he maybe was a little more sane and then went a little crazy. Yeah. Because you maybe were exposed to something. Who knows? Or maybe like we said, agent for the government, you're just like misinformation campaign guy. Maybe. Doing your crazy stuff. But again, like the reason we brought it up was this idea of stargates. Like are these sightings around the world, ancient places happening because essentially they are just takeoff and landing ports of the ancient world, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I was like, does this freaking exist? Could this be possible? And lo and behold, there are multiple locations across the world where alleged stargates are said to exist. And then the concept has been proposed by Einstein, wrote the Einstein-Rosen bridge, essentially, which are wormholes. And hmm. yeah, connections okay. between areas and spaces that can be modeled as, quote, vacuum solutions Hmm. to the Einstein field equations that he would later come up with. So, yeah, uh, potentially traversable 
wormholes. <laughs> like okay. if we actually figured out a way to like do Donnie it. Darko style? Donnie Darko style. Uh, Stephen Hawking and others were trying to theorize ways in which it could be done, but it's all theoretical physics yeah. as of right now. Mm-hmm. But there are multiple places around the world that sort of suggest that these might have existed. And maybe there was certain incantations or ways of knowing how to open them. One of these places is in Sri Lanka in a place called the Land of the Kings, locally known as uh, Rajarta. It's a sacred city, UNESCO World Heritage Site, and was established during the kingdom of a kingdom that was existed in 377 BCE. Basically, this location is the heart of Buddhist culture in the country. And it's a 40-acre park where there's multiple different Buddhist temples, th- three massive Buddhist temples. But in the center of this park in this in where these temples are there's this chart that people allege is a map that Hmm. may or may not be a map of somewhere vastly far off in the universe Hmm. and or be a code for unlocking some sort of a portal so it's absolutely bizarre no one actually knows what it really is for what it says there's just these suggestions that there it could be this code that's very hard to understand so it's incompatible. Uh, we'll, we'll do a post with this photo as well. But it's it's uh, conography, it's, um, its markings are mm-hmm. completely incompatible with any other carvings of the period from this, uh, from, this, from this period in Sri Lanka. The center of the chart is made up of these concentric circles that are then divided by these vertical and horizontal lines kind of running in strange directions. And then rectangular compartments that contain these weird circles. Um, there's also these figures that sort of resemble umbrella-like things, possibly maybe like ships, and then maybe perhaps bows and arrows. There's kite-like things. But, but essentially, the point of this is that the monks worshipped this place. Hmm. They would perform certain rituals there, but it isn't referenced in any of the texts that have been preserved. Hmm. So this is a quote from this professor uh, from the University of uh, Kalania, Sri Lanka, He says that this was used for a prolonged period in history. It's the second major developmental phase seems to have begun in the 7th century CE. During that period, several new new buildings were added to this earlier space. And the chart could be a work of this same period, but it's impossible to know because its existence, function, or anything related to it is not mentioned anywhere in historical records. Hmm. So what's really interesting here is that more of these possible locations are placed on areas around the earth that contain these specific geomagnetic properties and religious significance. I just find that to be so, so fascinating. So another example of this is a place called the Gate of the Gods at Hayumarca in Peru. Hmm. Really strange. Also also thought to be a potential gateway to the land of the gods, quote-unquote. That's the okay. ex- exact wording as what the ancient peoples thought that it could be. Mm-hmm. And this structure, compared to Sri Lanka, which is basically a chart or a map showing how to traverse this gateway. Yeah. This is literally two doorways. Oh. So it's a it's a more physical representation of the actual passage from one place to another. But legends state that there lar- there's one large door and one small door. And the legends state that the large door was for the gods themselves, and then the smaller door was so that mortals could traverse this as well. Hmm. And some allegedly heroes in their ancient traditions actually did and in doing so became immortals themselves as well, which is almost kind of like maybe you could read into like hybridization stuff mm-hmm. there if you're going extraterrestrial mm-hmm. angle, right? And one of these legends is of this mortal passing through the doorway uh, 
And the story is basically that this, when Spanish explorers arrived at this location in the 16th century, they were looting everything as they do. Uh, and this Incan priest named Amara Maru fled the Spanish and went through this gateway with this specific uh, golden disc that was, quote, the key to the gods of the seven rays. And we talked about something similar with the Montezuma story too. Like there was like a, some sort of a golden disc associated with that story too. I can't remember exactly. Hmm. Well, but he went through this doorway, um, and presented them with this gold, presented the beans on the other side with this golden disc, and then allegedly followed this specific ritual and was able to open the smaller doorway for others to possibly go through as well. Absolutely bizarre. Hmm. Super fascinating. So that's another potential place that's on a specific ancient location. There's another one in Egypt as well. I know I'm kind of just listing here. Yeah. But this is just to sort of tie this all together from the Thutmosis story to the potential Alexander the Great story. This location in Egypt is at a place called the Abu Sur Pyramids. Hmm. So claimed to be one of the absolute oldest sites on Earth. Not as old as Gobekli Tepe, but... Within this structure lies an ancient platform that is essentially uh, alabaster Egyptian crystal. Mm-hmm. So, like we've talked about in the Pyramids of Giza episode, this is getting into things of like in, being in tune with the vibrations of the earth, uh, being able to change the actual physical states of matter around you in order to traverse uh, to a different place, being able to harness these sacred ancient energies, so to speak. So, Legends talk about different communications at this site uh, between the ancient Egyptians and possibly the beyond, whatever hmm. you want to call that. Okay. You know what I mean? All right. And, like, that's been, we've referenced that a lot. So it's all sorts of different types of sites, though. They're not, like, they're not the same, you know what I mean, as far as, like, but it is different cultures, different ancient peoples that have gone about these in different ways. Yeah, that may or may not actually be, like, extremely advanced technology that we only see as, like, ancient stone structures, right? But yeah. this is the list. We've got the Egypt, the Great Pyramids, and ley lines and possible connections there to this kind of stuff. We've got other religious locations, like the Sri Lanka location, Peru, locations in Peru. And all of these are seen as potential stargates. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Anyway. And we got the Grand Canyon, apparently. So that's, that's sort of, and the Grand Canyon. So that's, so that's, that's my sighting of, quote-unquote, evidence. But it's, it's Pot- just yeah. suggestions mm-hmm. of... Yeah, I mean, like, it it just matches up with some of these stories. Trying to tie it together. Ancient aliens, baby. Ancient aliens. <laughs> Ancient alien astronomer over here. <laughs> yes. No, yeah, yes. that's actually pretty cool, actually. I, I would love to just visit these sites and just get a feel for them. Like, I feel like you'd probably get a really interesting, like, metaphysical sort of, like, response, maybe, or something. You know what I mean? Like, I don't oh, know, yeah. depending, but that'd be really cool. We should make a list of these and... Use our Patreon funds to go visit some of these sites around the world. That'd be we'll really have cool. to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do a live show <laughs> one of these ancient places. Yeah, totally. That'd be really cool. Well, we're kind of getting down to the end of it here. Um, there's, you know, there's been a lot we've discussed, a oh, lot yeah. of fantastical things. Of course, when we get down to the nitty gritty, we can't obviously deny that some of these stories obviously probably have natural explanations, you know. Um, yeah. Ancient depictions of flying objects in the sky. Perhaps these are, like, you know, just, like, astronomical in nature, you know? Maybe a comet, meteors, planets. Uh, I mentioned solar flares, things like that, you know? Yes. Um, that can f- take on a very fantastical sort of uh, nature, you know what I mean? Especially yeah. depending on uh, 
the severity of the event and things like that. Totally. Uh, even optical phenomena like lenticular clouds that look very saucer-like in appearance. Obviously, they don't move very fast. They don't like you know like do a lot of stuff. But you know, they could but be even know. interpreted as potential castles in the sky or whatever. Or like, yes. um, yeah, just aerial sort of uh, realms. Uh, you know, obviously, the most famous example of this would be Halley's Comet, and this has been cited by many, many um, ancient societies. There was one that was recorded by the Chinese astronomers, and that goes back to all the way to 240 BC. Long time And ago. maybe even earlier than that. Mm-hmm. And these were often, you know, seen as signs. They were either supernatural or from the gods and things like that, um, religious omens and whatever else. So maybe some of these could have been even translate even more fantastically or, or whatever you know what i mean yeah. so there's there's all sorts of things that we need to obviously include as far as like more mundane explanations but absolutely there's all sorts of stuff that we can't explain in this world magic exists and we do not have all the answers so it, whether or not it's extraterrestrial in origin or very terrestrial in origin there's things that remain undiscovered and in our sort of very modern scientific lens that we use we discount a lot of things and i i'm guilty of that especially you know what i mean like i'm very much more uh, ascribed to the whole like western academia approach where it's like yeah even me like bitching and moaning about sources and citing and la 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 you know what i mean like back in the day you didn't have that you were just passing stories down from generation to generation so i don't know Maybe these uh, modern ufologists are just continuing with that tradition. <laughs> I don't really <laughs> no have any like sighting required. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, yeah. like obviously there's there are so many problems and controversies and and just the veracity of information that's being spread is a huge issue too. We have all these echo chambers of authors that, like I said, refuse to accurately cite information or just don't cite at all. Looking at you, Frank Edwards, there, but well, it leads yeah. us nowhere conclusive. That's for certain. But it does make for a very fun conversation. So Absolutely. I don't know if you had any other sort of thoughts that you wanted to include in this. Like, I no, honestly like, just wanted to kind of finish off by saying I don't want anyone to think that we are becoming uh, ancient astronaut theorists <laughs> or here or hollow. Well, I mean, it's all super fun, and I think like there's room for speculation on anything interdimensional because that's sort of like the free. That's that's where the free you can freestyle over there. Oh yeah. Because uh, <laughs> as far as descending into the hollow earth like with your pick and shovel right now i think that's maybe a a different Hmm. story to be had Mm -hmm. but uh yeah no i just didn't i you know obviously a lot of people would just kind of go with the the sky gods interpretation of all of this um as far as watching ancient aliens basically Mm. you know uh whether they're coming from another dimension or not they are just we are basically to me it's all just the big experiment thing like it's the petri dish it's the sea monkeys like they're showing up giving us the tech showing us how to do stuff like i'm not buying into that you're not okay. i'm not buying into that even though i think a lot of people would be would be kind of leaning that way yeah. um, that you know i feel spe- like we're very inconsequential i feel like humans have this tendency to like you know think of ourselves as like the center of the universe the center of everything right. uh you know we're very self-indulgent to a large degree but like i think yeah. we're we're very much an accident of nature in my mind you know what i mean and, and whether or like not like prometheus that, style accidents. or maybe yeah i don't know i do want to give one other like a second shout out just to ja- i believe it was jackson kane um he brought up um reading into the uh the indian um text called the uh the rig Veda, i believe mm. it's called where it was talking about different flying machines in the ancient past and used in warfare in ancient times um, and, you know, there's various different sort of like we talked about biblical abductions in part one as well, but basically ancient religious texts that do lend that give people the fuel to the fire for the ancient astronaut theory. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's something just a little bit more complex in there. Uh, 
whether it's us from the future looking back, trying to change things, whether it is just popping in to take a peek and they they actually have no comprehension because we are so overly simplistic as creatures. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm really not sure. But all very fun, all very strange. If anyone listening has had some sort of a UFO experience or a sighting, we would really love to hear it. If you, I mean, if you've been listening to us for a while and you haven't told us, if you just don't want to, that's cool. But <laughs> we would love to hear about it and, and maybe even talk about it on the show if you were comfortable with that. Because I know Amber's always jonesing for some sort of a, a, a paranormal encounter or something like that because it hasn't <laughs> happened to her. And we cover this uh, oh, on I our know. show. I get increasingly frustrated as the years right? go on. <laughs> and, uh, and again, I said it in part one, but just like how strange all of this would have been, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of it was 300 BC or 1859 in a Australia, you know, all, all pre-modern UFO era and just how impactful and strange this all would have been. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and here we are now in uh, 2022 trying to decipher it. So yeah. that's, uh, that brings us to the end of part two. It does. Alien airships of antiquity. Stay tuned for a, a fun part three that will be exclusive on Patreon. Yeah, and it's uh, getting into some accounts from, like I said, the oddities in print, the yes. latest release from Adam Benedict Shout over at Pine Shout out to Barons. Adam Benedict. And mm-hmm. then uh, stay tuned for a, a second, a long-awaited second uh, meeting of the Lodge, yes. Lodge 1908, where we have some very, very, very serious time travel matters to address with the fellow Lodge members. <laughs> yes. So we'll get around to that soon, you guys. Um, but uh, we wanted to give a massive thank you to our producers of the show, Adam Kellums, Kitsune, and Jackson Greenberg. We couldn't do this with you guys are amazing yes. and, and all of our patrons thank you guys so so yeah, much yeah we had a few uh we had d henry join the crew d, what's we also up? had uh, michael bush join the crew a few months ago too yes. so i want to give a shout out to him again i don't know if we actually got a chance we, to i do think that we last did time, but, but shout out mm-hmm. to both you guys both you and, a couple of uh, curious creatures out there in the world <laughs> yeah so thank yeah, we you really so appreciate much. it mm-hmm. and uh for everyone who's you know we things have been tough lately amber and i don't have the same work schedules at all it's really amber tough gets to get off around work this, really yeah. late it's really hard for us to get stuff done but we're trying our best and so we do really appreciate everyone's Mm -hmm. patience and for your continued support it's been absolutely heartwarming and so so awesome so many people checking in on us like saying like hey no worries at all just looking forward to your next release right no rush that has kept us going because we've had moments where we thought you know what can we and Mm. and people saying you know what take we just want to hear it we don't care when it comes out and we're like that's amazing so yeah you guys are all amazing but um we're happy to get back on the mic today so yeah um thank you guys so much for listening hit up our shop uh we've got a few things in there i think maybe we'll be trying to maybe do some some new stuff eventually but um check out the shop uh with the gateway uh you'll notice that there was not an ad in this episode uh we we are no longer sponsored by better help but it's been a really amazing run but we Mm -hmm. wanted to let you guys know that our discount code is still valid for betterhelp.com so you can still use the code portal to get 10% off your first month mm-hmm. and I think that'll be valid for at least another uh, two or three months so anyone who uh, is interested in that please take advantage of that and uh, patreon.com slash into the portal one dollar will get you a shout out and up from there is a bunch of other cool stuff so check yeah. us out and as always thank you to everyone who has left us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or a, a Spotify review mm-hmm. uh, it means so so much to us and really helps the show and we do want to keep this going so thank you to everyone who's done that and if you hadn't, haven't done that yet 
please uh, uh, do us a solid. And uh, if you let us know, and we'll give you a shout out on the show. So uh, do you have anything else, Amber? Uh, not too much. Yeah, that, that wraps her up, I think. <laughs> Thank right. you so much for that succinct little conclusion. And and just for all the fun stuff you brought up in this episode. I know you did a lot of research for this one. And uh, here I, I am fun. just being the wet blanket over here. Nah, you're, yeah, you're, the, you're, the, you're the Scully. You're the Chris Carnicelli. Uh, we need people like that, right? So uh, shout out to the Kryptonaut podcast. Go listen to those guys, too. Yeah. But, um, Thank, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to be back for another episode soon. Uh, but until then, until next time on Into the Portal. Your gateway to the bazaar. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.